I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Seated, please. Good morning. It is really wonderful to be here with you here at St. John's, a, a parish that Sheila and I love very much. I have a memory of neighbors, and it's probably like some of your memories of neighbors. I lived in a neighborhood that is a place where we knew each other. And the memory of neighborhood and neighbors that I have, uh, one compact one, is that we played in a pack uh, of children. And we had our bicycles and our feet and our ways of getting around, and we moved like a great pack of wild people. And, um, and we were quite free, and the neighbors looked out for everyone. Uh, there was somebody keeping an eye on us really almost at all times. And they knew who we were, and they knew our weaknesses, many, and uh, they knew our strengths, and they, they took care of us, and they looked out for us. And no one was really worried about the fact that we were roaming around like a pack of hyenas. That is not the kind of neighbors Jesus is talking about. Can you just dismiss that idea from your minds? Because that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the stranger who comes near to you. The stranger who comes near to you. Not the well-known person who is kind of like an extended family member in neighborhoods of the 1950s and 60s and 70s, those neighborhoods are like big families. We know each other's strengths and weaknesses. We make allowances for each other. That's just the way Mark is. That's just the way he is. We, we make allowances the way we make allowances in our families. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He is talking about what we have struggled with as a species for as long as we've been humans. This question of what do we do with the stranger who has come near to us, who has come into our circle. Now, somewhere along the line, we took a different path from some other creatures evolutionarily. So we, within family, have certain checks and balances. And by and large, we leave our families harmless. We're not like, we didn't go down the path of the praying manis. (laughs) Different path. We, by and large, have ethics built into us, it seems, about family. There's aberration in in every pattern, but overall, we get that. But with this question about the stranger who has come near us, what we translate as the neighbor... This seems to be a species problem, a planetary problem. We have trouble with this. And sometime about 500 years before Jesus was asked this trick question, the Jews seem to have been the first people to have a creative, beautiful, strong way of starting to answer this question that wasn't the praying manis answer turned on the stranger. They said that the alien 
who comes into your midst to work for you, to work beside you, to be in your community, but who has not been part of your community to begin with, that person should be treated like family. Now, we've heard this forever now, well, for 2,500 years, and we kind of take that as a given. But it was not a given. It was not a given. And if we look around us in our world today, it's not actually a given in our world either. The question of how we treat the stranger who has come near us is a problem still. There are many, many people who have run afoul of this problem by being a stranger in the wrong place. And people did not act as neighbor to them. The iconic story of the woman set upon by a gang of men in the middle of towering apartment buildings and she dies without anyone without anyone coming to her aid. Phones available to everyone there. This is the question. This is the problem that is being laid before Jesus and that Jesus answers and said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The stranger who has come near you you shall love as yourself. Now this seems to be a problem to which Jesus addressed himself more than once and very profoundly, and in two different ways. This one, from the Gospel of Matthew that we've been following, says, Jesus says, you shall love the neighbor as yourself. In the companion Gospel, as I call it, Luke, a different answer is given, profound as well. There, when the questioner who may have been sincere to begin with or may have been trying to trick Jesus like these Pharisees were, has been answered by Jesus in a way that confounded these questioners in Matthew. And this one comes back, not ready to give up, and says, well, then who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story. It's a story the whole world knows, the story of the Good Samaritan. But again, we've heard this story so much that its, its kind of extremeness, its intensity, and its surprise may be a little muted for you and for me. He does not assume that the listener, you or I, is the powerful person, the person in control, who gets to say who gets to be my neighbor or not. Will I answer the door? Will I give them the cup of sugar? That is not the story he tells. He tells the story of a person who is set upon, like the woman in the iconic story in New York is set upon, and he's beaten and he's robbed and he's left for dead, he's unconscious, he's not in control of anything. And people come near him. Strangers come near him the beginning definition of a neighbor, one after the other, and they pass on the other side of the street until an unexpected person, a foreigner, a non-Jew, a Samaritan, slightly unclean at all times, comes near to him and binds up his wounds, puts him on his own animal, 
takes him to an inn and pays for him to be cared for and then gets out of his life. No expectations of reward. No binding him to his future. And then Jesus says to his questioner, which of these strangers who came near proved to be neighbor to the man who was robbed and beaten? Which of them was the neighbor? It turns it upside down on its head. And the man said, well, I suppose the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, well, then you should go do that. This idea of the neighbor being the one who comes to me in my need and in fact saves my life puts the neighbor, the stranger who has come near, in the place of God. In the first question, in the answer to the question that Jesus gives in Matthew, he says what every Jew, what every Christian would say is the first and great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Why? Why do we love God in that way? Because God is the source of life. God gives us life. God sustains life. And God is the direction to which our life bends and moves. In the story from the Gospel of Luke, it is the stranger who has come near who gives life to the unconscious man, who sustains his life and sets him back on the path of his own life. Amazingly, the stranger who has come near, according to Jesus, is like God to me in my powerlessness, in my weakness, and in my inability to heal myself. What an amazing, what an unbelievable turn of events. These problems the stranger who has come near, these problems that have plagued humanity since we have been human are no longer the problems that I thought they were. They are, in fact, like gods on earth to me. But that's not the answer that Jesus gives in this particular gospel. He gives a different answer, equally powerful, perhaps, but different, and that is that the stranger who has come near is my family. So either God or my family. This is, uh, this is a turn that I hadn't expected. And the question I have for us, for you and for me, is how would I make that change in my life? How would I begin to do this? How would St. John's Ross as a community, start to deal with the stranger who has come near, either as if they were gods on earth or our very own family. Well, I really should be preaching this sermon to another group of people, and you may agree. I should be preaching it to a group of strangers, in fact, who have not the benefit, and I do call it that, 
of this Christian community. Within this community, that question, the question about what our neighbor is to us, is being answered Sunday after Sunday. When you come here, you are, whether it is in the full consciousness of your mind or not, coming to be transformed. You are coming to be changed from people who do not know each other, who have no allegiance to each other, who have no commitment to each other. You are coming to be turned into true neighbors, family, or even the source of life for one another. And how does this happen? How does this happen? It happens because we come to a sacred meal where we are all given the same love, the same love to every one of us that come to this table by invitation to all. Now, you may have heard me ask this question before, but bear with me. Here at St. John's, I'm only here every other year, or every other almost two and a half years, not enough for me, so I don't know how it is here Sunday to Sunday. And... I will say that sometimes communities change their behavior when the bishop comes. (laughs) When when Sheila and I were were lay people living on the eastern shore of Virginia, we had, the eastern shore is that little spit of land that forms on one side of it, the Chesapeake Bay. It's quite remote. There's only 40,000 people on the whole, whole peninsula. And the bishop had to come across the Bay Bridge Tunnel, 22 miles across the Bay Bridge Tunnel to come to us. We used the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, though it was well past 1979. Except when the bishop came, we put them away. And we took out the new Book of Common Prayer and put them in the pews. And then when we all opened them, they went crack, 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 crack. (laughs) And I said to the vestry after the bishop's visit, I said, you know, he's a pretty smart guy. I think he probably knows what we're doing. Uh, So we sometimes change behavior when bishops come. So here, answer me this. When you have the invitation to communion, do the largest donors to St. John's get to come forward first? Of course. That's what I wondered. And uh, and do the vestry come with them? And And do the donors in the vestry get better bread? And vintage wine? They might get ancient strain bread, organic. Everybody does, though, right? Right. Could I say that Jesus Christ, it's his table, it's his table, is making all of us into family to each other by treating us all with the same overflowing love. It's not grudging love. It's all overflowing love. And every one of us experiences it in the same way. Regardless of how worthy I am or unworthy I am. And even more than that, we find that we are having life given to us. At least that's what I find. Is that when I come into this community and when I come to the table... I am being given not just love, but an overflow of life 
and that I go forth with a surfeit of life. Isn't that your experience? And so when we go into a world which is more and more marked by anomie and atomization and isolation, I know something's wrong because I've been changed by coming here. I've been made into something different, into a community, a family, people who love each other, people who are gods to each other. And I'm enabled by this transforming love of God experienced here in Christian community to unbelievably, at times, be that for someone else. I think this is why we exist. I think this is why we are who we are, Christians, here at St. John's Ross. So when someone asks us, who is your neighbor? Don't think of my 1950s childhood or someone else's, but think instead of a world where there are many, many strangers who have no resort to community, who are on their own in many ways. And remember that you are God's answer to their need. You are neighbor to them.